beautifully with some of we here this morning uh, from Rav Yaakov, the beautiful Torah of Rav Nosson. Let's get straight into it, um, straight into action over here. Um, so I'm standing also because the camera's here. If you want to sit closer, you can, you can, we can be closer. So the, the very first point I wanted to bring out over here, and what makes Hanukkah complex, right? And this actually is, we know there's Bayom Ha'imba's Manazeh. There's the same power as in the world that was in the Hanukkah story and struggle. Is there lots and lots and lots of other challenges we face in The only thing we want to do is reject it. With Yavon, it's much less simple. Especially in the Zaya Kodesh, and there's other places as well, but I just, just first Makara, first source over here. The source by the, the Novi in Yechezkel, when he has the vision of the Maisa Markova, the vision of the inner workings of the, of the inner heavens, and he sees there's this wind coming from the north, Anangodal, this tremendous cloud, you got this fire, and then surrounded by a Noiga, some kind of shine. And the Zaya Kodesh says that is Yavon. Right? And that's why one can't just throw out Yavah. Now explain what that means. That means that there might be a simple instinct to just get rid of whatever we consider Yavah. What exactly comes under Yavah? That's a whole interesting discussion beyond what we're going to do this morning. But whatever it is, the simple answer of discard the whole thing doesn't work. Since it has a place within the framework of Kedusha, some place, therefore if you throw it out, it will always find a way. Something about your soul will be attracted to it. But if you put it in the wrong place, it will destroy everything. So there's, there's, there's issues here of something that has a very, very bad place and something that has a right place. And you see it in Halacha. The Gemara Megillah says, um, right, when in, in the Ein Bein Mishnah, it's all those Mishnah, it's the end of the first paragraph of what's between this and this. Ein Bein Svarim, it's and Svarim, it means Svarim, actually says of Tanakh. Torah, Nevi'im, and Kesuvim. How they differ from Tefillin and Mezuzahs. Svarim Nechom Mechaloshen. You can write them in any language. Tefillin and Mezuzahs only, only in, in Ksavashos. And then Roshim Ben Gamliel comes along. Says Svarim, you cannot write them in any language. You cannot write Tanakh in any language. And the Gemara Paskans, Roshim Ben Gamliel. Shethu Elo Yuvon. the only language outside Loshen HaKadosh that you can write a Sefer of Tanakh in is Yuvonis. Now this needs deep thinking. And the Gemara in, the, in Megillah, the Tess on the base says, Yochanan, it's B'Shem Rav says, what's the reason? Because um, somebody wrote in the notes over here, I, I, sorry I wasn't able to find the Rashi, it's, it's the Rashi on, it's actually the Rashi on the Gemara. The Rashi on the Gemara Daf test says, the, the beauty of Yefes is such, there's a beauty of the culture of Yefes that is manifest in the Ksav. Now let's take a step back and understand what's going on. You cannot write the Torah or Navim Ksavim in any language because Torah is the infinite will of and Loshan HaKodesh, right, the holy language is designed to be a vessel that can allow all its layers to be manifest. Every other language can't capture it. It can capture so superficially that if you write it, you can write it for an art school, with the translation, but you can't put a safer because the safer is the thing. And it doesn't have enough of a vessel to capture and emit the light of Torah. Yavonis Greek, and let's understand, a losha, and we talk about kol am veloshin, every nation and its language, means that, right, we talk about um, being above every losha. A loshin is a civilization. A language is not just a technical set of vocabulary and a dictionary. Every nation's language is that culture's view of reality, how it divides up the world. If you live in a snow-rich environment, you're going to have an enormous vocabulary around snow. 
because every subtle distinction is important, right? You, you have in, almost infinite experiences, right? You have to classify them, and then you create a vocabulary and, and a grammar to do that. So every language is its cultural way of perceiving what's important in reality. There's languages that don't have a lot of words for spiritual things. English, which is one of the richest languages in terms of the number of words, which allow you to express every subtlety under the sun and create sarcastic humor, has very few words for spiritual things, and most of them mean non-physical. Right? It's not a very... So every culture will find its language and its ability to express certain things. No cultures, no language can express Torah. But shockingly enough, Yavon has the ability, at least in ancient Yavonis, ancient Greek, to express enough of Torah, to hold enough as a vessel, that it can actually be a vessel through which you write the Torah. And by the way, you can't just conclude, oh, it's because they'd written the Septuagint, because actually they already had the Targum of the Torah in, 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 uh, in Aramaic, as we know, and that was never allowed, and that was spoken much more, and there's parts of Torah written in Aramaic, right? But that could never become a vessel for transmitting Torah, but Yavonis could. So there's, a, and that's from Noach's bracha, it has a place within, as long as it's within the tense of shame. So this, this raises very, very important issues in what's going on over here. Now, and that's why this goddess, this exile, has another bizarre element to it. It's the only exile we were in. Normally the definition of goddess of exile is dislocation. You're not in Eretz Yisrael. So the next, the Medrash Rabbah on source number four. In the first day of creation is a pattern of four phases of darkness. And the Medrash Rabbah, actually the Bracious Rabbah, shows that this is a primal pattern that has many, many manifestations. Okay? And the Medrash will go through lots and lots and lots. And it's obviously something we go through all the time. All the time in life there is this primal impregnated pattern that will always manifest in the world. There'll always be a phase of toyu, of chaos. There'll always be a voyu in emptiness. There'll always be a choshech where we just can't see the way forward. And there'll always then be this tohoyim where it just looks like it's going to go forever. And somewhere there, when we're kind of ready to give up, we feel the ruach alikim rachapas, the spirit of God is there. And when we lean into that, yihiyara, there's going to be light. That's the pattern. And the pattern has a meta-expression across Jewish history. Toyu says the Medrash is goddess Bava. That's the Babylonian exile. Voyu is the emptiness, is what comes in the world of Ahasuerus, Paris of Madai, Persian media. Choshech, darkness, is the Greek. And Tohoim, the great abyss, is the Western exile that we're in from Rome to this day. And that means that a few things. First of all, it immediately dispels the natural potential myth that we might have the the essence of Hanukkah is we were in trouble, we, we happened to be in trouble, Hashem saved us, and therefore we celebrate. Obviously, if that was true, we'd only have one day Hanukkah anyway, but, um, but this measure is saying, no, the clash against Yavon was not an incidental thing that happened to be, on whatever level anything else happens to be. It's not, we're in a town in Europe somewhere, and there was a rumor they're going to come and kill the Jews, and then a nace happened and we got saved. Those Purim Kotons that happen across history is not what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah was a clash, an encounter with a complex golos, a real deep exile, that we were going to have to encounter Choshech darkness at some point on the pathway to light, number one. Number two, clearly if the Greek exile is called Choshech, darkness, clearly the tikkun, any rectification of darkness is going to be or light. So it suddenly becomes not a coincidence that on the one hand we have a war against Greece and on the other hand the result of that is also a miracle that involves light. They're suddenly the same thing. Third of all is 
the same tikkun you need against choyshech, which is or the same tikkun rectification you need against darkness, which is light. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Is the thing that will come in Olam Abba as well. In other words, whatever it was that we needed to defeat darkness is the thing, is the very tools that we're going to need to outlast the long Tehoyim, the great abyss, and bring the Yihiyar, the light that comes at the end. Something of the light of Olam Abba, of the world to come, was necessary in the Hanukkah story. And something of it, therefore, is there in Hanukkah right now. What we learn and, and imbue from Hanukkah is the very tool that we need to magnify in the world to get through all the long exiles and goddess and get to the other end. So these are just some of the points. But we begin, but of course, the issue here is that all other exiles, well, we were dislocated from the land, we were outside, there was no base on Mikdash, Bavel, Parasamodai, Rome, but not Choshech, not darkness, not Yavon. We were in Eretz Yisrael. We had the Beis Hamikdash. It was only it was only made Tomei right near the end of the of the actual core story. But for most of the time under Yavon, we were there with our own running Beis Hamikdash, with our own autonomy in the land. Right? This shows you could be in Eretz Yisrael with full autonomy, called still in exile, and we were struggling with a civilization called darkness, about which has a place. But if you put it in the wrong place, it wrecks everything. Right? And this is what we need to understand. And what that the test that Yavon threw at us. Is the, and by the way, the source of this, if you want to look up, I don't always remember everything that I put together about Hanukkah from many years ago. I do remember some ideas come from the Neremits of the Maharal, some come from the Bnei Soschos, huge pieces on all this. Some come from a book in English called Patterns in Time. Some come from some things from Rufutna, some come from the Shira I heard from Rav Moshe Staff. I, I don't know where everything comes from, so I can't promise you where, but uh, together, Be'ez Hashem, there's something here that's very powerful. What you feel so the, the collapse, the real challenge of, of, of Yavon is multiple, but amongst other things, it was the, there was an internal struggle. Most of what went wrong in that era was an internal exile. Most of what went wrong was that Yavon had something in its beauty that attracted elements of Yisrael to it, that made Hellenization a process that led to what eventually became the actual repression. There was something that fell apart within the Jewish people. Something that within Kalisol was attracted to the power of Greece. And we would normally call it, by the way, enlightenment, not dark. The Major says, no, 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 it was actual darkness, and we need to understand that. But something, and, and therefore that means that if you want to trace the roots of Hanukkah, and they're there in the first day of creation, we need to find where internal schism happens. Where did the Jewish people fall apart internally? Where was the lack of shleim, was the lack of completion internally that made us vulnerable to this civilization, and in the end, it's oppression? Right? We invited it in. And we invited it in because we ourselves fell apart when challenged with it. And we can begin to understand why. It does belong. It does. No, it must never be there. No, you can't say it must never be there because it's the Neuger, it's the Shiner. You can't bring it in. It's the thing. Right? So something's pulling us apart in the wrong way. It presents a challenge to us and it becomes like a magnet for large parts of us to fall apart, a rejection element. And that echoes the very beginning of Kralisa because of the sale of Yosef. And this is the Megala Mukois, who writes that the Golos Yavon was required to rectify the sale of Yosef. And we already heard echoes that in the beautiful Torah that we heard earlier this morning. This is another angle that each one can be mashed in the other. And of course, Chazal say, the Gemara and Sanhedrin, in Shechem, all the things go wrong in Shechem. Right? Shechem is the Maes of Dina, what happens to Dina. In Shechem, they sold Yosef. In Shechem, the kingdom is going to be divided between Yosef and Yehuda. What is this referring to? Later on, when you have the Malchus of Yisrael, and Yisrael stands as one, and David HaMelech, Shlomo HaMelech, the next generation after King David and King Solomon is, Rechavam is meant to be the king, 
And in Shechem is the rebellion, when Yeroboam ben Nevot divides the kingdom, Yeroboam son of Nevot, and he is a descendant of Yosef. So the kingdom is split along the same line. Yehuda says we should sell Yosef, and Yosef's descendants, he says we should move away from Yehuda's descendants, right? King David's descendants, and the kingdom rips again in two. So the first family rips apart in the same place. The Jewish kingdom rips apart and is never again fully reunited, right? And this tells us that there's some parallel between these events. So the sale of Yosef somehow is connected to Greek exile. The sale of Yosef is absolutely connected to the ripping apart of the Jewish people again and again and again in history. And understanding its dynamics is key. And by the way, it's already, as you see on source number seven, this is already Ebefeirish in the, in the Novi Zachariah. And as Zachariah is writing before Yavon, before Greece has become a superpower, it's an emerging power. But it's not the dominant power at all. And the Navi, the prophetess, says, Ki I draw back on a bow of Yehuda, Milesi Ephraim, filled with the arrow that is Ephraim, son of Yosef. That is the only way I can get your children, Zion, Zion, to fight against your children, Yavon. Of course, Zion is Gematria Yosef. Yosef, there's a whole medrash running through. Everything happens to Yosef. It's a microcosm. Everything happens to Jewish people called Sian. That's another whole. By the way, even in the word Sian, many bring the remas. Sian is the outer three letters are Yavon. The inner letters the Tzaddik. And Yosef, of course, is the Tzaddik. If you can have the Kedusha in the core, then there is a place for the, for the expression Yavon. You take away the Kedusha, the core, and you've just got horrific darkness. Okay, these are little hints showing us a direction, but we need to fill in the threads. Now, what we need to understand is what was the rejection of Yosef. So the beautiful Torah we learned earlier today says, says that in every generation, there's the, if you want those who want to go out and reach out to others, and those who want to reach out to the low parts of, of the struggling people, and those who feel there's something dangerous about that and, and want to reject it. And obviously you can hear, uh, right, in, in the Torah we learned, there was Yosef who manifests that sense of wanting to go out. But what is it that others are rejecting now? What, how could you ever reject any desire to go out? And the answer is because as we're going to learn, it's a very thin wedge between that and doing something incredibly destructive. Yosef, if you look in the simple meaning of the Pesukim, as we last week said in Vayeshev, in, 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 um, in Miketz, one of the outstanding features of Yosef is his beauty. Two things about Yosef. He's always described as beautiful, and he's always described as finding chen in the eyes of people. Now again, you want a hint. It's clear that chen is the showish of the word Hanukkah, but there's... Uh, this chain. He's always moitzachain. He's something charming. And beauty, you see, that phrase from Pash is a phrase that is only otherwise used for feminine beauty. The only male character who gets that phrase is Yosef. And in fact, we see when Yosef is Shvayas Veshana, again, the Torah that we heard earlier, 17 years old, what, is, what happens? The Bracious Rabbi says, he was. He was behaving childishly. He was looking after his eyes. He was kicking his feet and then looking after his hair. He was the guy looking in the mirror, the Medrash seems to say, and Rashi brings this, behaving in a, in a childish way, caring about how he looks, wanting to look very beautiful. The lighting on the camera, is it good enough? Is my marketing right? And this is a very dangerous thing because the person who's caring all the time about how others are thinking of them, and wanting to look beauty and carry is it's what we call in English charisma, right? Charisma is a very dangerous thing. It's the power, the ability to attract others to oneself is the ability to control people. 
of course, Yosef becomes the ruler, right? That's what happens. And his very dreams from youth already, he's seeing these nevuas, which are all about him having power and everybody bowing down to him, right? This is, the charismatic person has a huge challenge in the world, right? It's, it's a huge challenge for Mashpia and Torah, by the way, too, is how do we avoid narcissism? Very subtle levels. You better see, one of the challenges we all have in Avoid Zat Sibor is you can be a huge honor for yourself, but the minute you build an organization, you become a Balgaiva about the organization. It's not me, right? There's a beautiful mice of, of, of uh, and Zoe's like amazing. And of Aaron Leib Steinem, somebody spoke, told of Aaron Leib about, um, about an amazing Rosh Koyla or Shiva somewhere, who, as he'd walk past his base of Medjur at night and see people learning, he'd be crying. And presumably, Aaron Abe thought it was a tremendous thing, but he said, but you want a real madrega of the real thing is when he walks past somebody else's base of madrash and he's also crying. <laughs> you know, it's like, a, it's a powerful, subtle, the beautiful muscle that Aaron Abe would give. So, but this is, but the, the, the subtle danger when you're reaching others is you need to look beautiful. You want Torah to look beautiful. So this, maybe I'll slightly misrepresent him. Or maybe I'll, won't know the line between what's honoring Torah versus honoring me. How many hits do I have on, on the social media? How, you know, like what, what's going on at this point? How popular am I, right? Do, because if I'm popular, I can get others to, you know, it's very, very dangerous. And it's so dangerous that when Yosef walks forward, this is the dream master's coming. The word Baal is redundant in the past. The dreamer comes. What's Baal HaChalom? says the Medrash, there's a subtle, obviously subconscious, because in those days, Baal was not the Ikra Avoidah in Eretz it was Elim. Baalim is later. But there's a subtlety. Every Losh, every word they're using is expressing universes. Right? It'll lead to the Baal. This one, this one will bring us to the Baalim. What are they referring to? Yeravon ben when he split the kingdom, the first act he did is built two Egel Azahovs, two golden calves, one in Don and one in Basel. So they felt subconsciously, or even not so subconsciously, within Yosef, is the root already within Yosef. It's not a coincidence his great-grandson goes and builds golden calves instead of Esau Mikdash's. That danger lies within him already. Now, of course, we're going to see they got it wrong. And understanding what they got wrong is, uh, is going to be important. But first, we have to see what they got right. There was something within Yosef that could produce Egil Azars. And in fact, we see over the next page that in Hesheah, in, in the Novi says in Hesheah, refers to Ephraim, Egla Mulumada, it's an untrained calf. And the Targum Yonison says the following seven desires. Ephraim is Yosef, is an Egel. Built into Yosef is the power of Egel. Of course, Yosef himself gets the brach of the shore of the ox, right? And, but built into him is, a, is not just an ox. Why an ox? Because an ox was, the, was power, was fertility, productivity in the ancient world. It was the most powerful thing a human could control. If you had an ox, you had plowing, you had meat, you had milk, you, you, were, you, had, you had power, you had wealth, you had fertility, you had productivity, you had, you had all the stuff, you had honor, you had glory, you had it all, right? And the Egal is the untrained version, is just like all that ability to control that power in the world with the immature youth and self-obsession. And you're, But it's, it, the Novi saying that's actually, a, that's a real Kayach in Ephraim. It's not a coincidence they built golden calves, they were a calf. Says the Tanchuma that when they raised the first Egel Azav, they took the slate upon which is written Ale Shor, the slate that raised the bones of Yosef. The slate that is, if you like, encaptured the spiritual essence of Yosef, threw it into the fire. And what came out was Yosef, or a, that, a power that lives within him, a golden calf. 
And so the Egel Azov is always linked to Yosef once, twice. And it's not just the brothers felt a danger. They felt the link to Yavon, to Greece. Why? Because Greece is also beauty. Yafta lekim liyafas. It's the same koyach. Says the Gemara in Shabbos Dafnun, Avavon base. The day Avavon placed the golden calves in Basel and Dan, a small shack was constructed which developed into Italia of Yavon. So at least see what the Gemara is doing. The moment he manifested this power that lives in Yosef, right, and built golden calves and divided the kingdom, at that moment, there was already a Yavon in the world, but a new power emerged in Yavon, the beginning of Rome. So within Greece, the Choshech, the darkness, is the beginning of the Tahoe, this huge abyss came through that power that was latent within Yosef that the brothers feared so much of idolatry. The fear in every generation of those who are Yosef-like, the beautiful people who go out there looking after everybody, after the rejected people. The fear is they can become false Mashiachs, they can become Shabtai Tzvi's. The fear is they can become idolatrous. They can become, in their popularity quest, destroy Yiddishkeit, and sometimes they do. Says the Bnei Sosra, this beautiful thing, the Yosef is Gematria Antiochus. Gematria is not a game. It means there's a very abstract root, there's a Shavish, there's a spiritual power that's Yosef, but taken the wrong way, that same power can go and cause destruction. And yet, the brothers are clearly wrong. The Torah Paskins Yosef. Not the Torah Paskins Yosef, not just in the end after have to be not in the end. The Yosef is the one who's called Sadik. It is actually Yosef who's Omid bin Asayin, who stands against the greatest temptation of all of history. And Yehuda, on whatever level he's on, is Hurad, who on some level succumbs and doesn't pass in the same degree. His godless, his greatness, his many things, including the ability to do teshuva and be moida and admit. But Yosef is the one who stands firm. And, and, and just think on the Peshut HaShemikra, the simple level, what it means for Yosef to stand firm. Yosef is facing, as a 17-year-old kid, as far as he's concerned, his entire relationship with his family has ended. The whole brochus of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is gone. He's nowhere near them. He's not got an obligation to keep that anymore. Emotionally, today, if we were trying to put ourselves in, in his shoes, you know, we'd just be broken people. The family sold him. For far as he knows, maybe his own father was involved in the sale. It sends him off. Who knows? Well, he's, he's, and, and, and here he is facing the greatest physical temptation. And he could make a million excuses. And whatever extent he has some access to Navua, the Navua would tell him, through this woman's, he's men have children. Okay, it's a daughter. You know, but but he, 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 everything's telling him to be here. And the Gemara says he's literally tearing his nails. He was, and he holds this person whose beauty and charm and the dangers that come. And not only that, the Gemara Baba Basra says that Yaakov, saw, Yaakov can only go back to Eretz Yisrael, can only go back to face Esau, can only do it when, when Yosef is born. Why? Because he saw that Ein Zarash and Esau, Nimsa, the brothers themselves cannot defeat Esau. No one in the Jewish people can defeat, can succeed in the long goddess we're going to face, Ela Biyad Zarash and Yosef without Yosef. So this Yosef who they feared, who on the one hand, if he goes wrong, can produce all this idolatry and disaster and Greece, is actually the only tool we have that can help us through the exile. See how powerful this is? Sometimes there's something dangerous and the answer is not to reject it. It is dangerous. You've got to be aware of where it's dangerous. And yet it's indispensable. So we need to get it right. Not reject, get it right. That's all it has to happen. And of course, by the way, amazing, look at that, that marshal, the Shenema, Bahaya base Yaakov, Eish, the, uh, the house of Yaakov is a fire base, Yosef, Lahavon, Yosef is the straw base, Esav, Lakash, Esav is the, is the, sorry, Esav is the straw, Yaakov is the fire, and Yosef is a spark that can turn the fire. And of course, the Medrash goes on and says, the marshal, and Rashi brings it out on the Torah, the marshal of the camel laden with flax, it's going down some narrow alleyways, 
devastation and destruction. Everybody's livelihood is being smashed up by this thing. It's the power of Aesop in the world that could just destroy everything you've built up for years. But along comes somebody thinks a little spark can burn off all the flax and now the camel walks and it's harmless. That's what Yosef is. By the way, amazingly, this I think, this I think was from the book Patterns in Time, but the beautiful, Stelzer, beautiful connection here is that the Gemara, I think it's in, in Baba Kama Samach base. you check it up afterwards. The only Mishnah in Shas that, that, that mentions the actual candle, the actual Hanukkah lights. There's a few other Mishnahs that mention Hanukkah as Yom Tov. And the Gemara that goes to the story and it's the halachas of what happens if a camel laden with flax is walking down an alleyway and it starts causing, and amongst the things it causes is a fire. Who's liable, right? And what's the halacha? If the fire is inside the shop, that camel has no business having that level of flax, which is an ace of level that it can go into the shop and destroy everything. So the owner of the camel is liable. If the candle is outside, the owner of the shop's liable. But if it's near as Hanukkah, if it's the candle of Hanukkah, then you're potter. Isn't that amazing? But of course, you realize it's exactly the same analogy. And in the analogy, the candle of Hanukkah is the flame of Yosef. Isn't that amazing? That can not only win the Hanukkah battle, but defeat the big straw thing of Aesop. So you see, you need Yosef to win Hanukkah. You need Yosef to defeat this thing that on the one hand is so dangerous, on the other hand is actually the only possible way we can survive. And of course, that's Mashiach ben Yosef. And what is it about Yosef that is, without which you can't have Mashiach ben Yehuda? You need the bow of Yehuda, but you need the arrow of Ephraim, otherwise, and of course, that's the one that's going to do the war, without which you cannot do this. So, and you see, you see again and again, look at the look, source 18, the Pirkei Jeroviliazah, all the nationalities came to purchase food, would bring taxes to Egypt and give to Yosef, and he would speak to each individual in his own language. Do you know what that means? You and me have a language, because you and me have a way of seeing the world. And you know when you talk to somebody, you get to know them really, really well, and you suddenly learn they have a language, that's what Yosef could do. He could talk to every person in their language. He lived in your world. That was the greatness of Yosef. Yosef called the gracious rabbi over the Medrash. He was the shepherd. Yosef wasn't motivated by controlling anybody. Yosef was driven by one force only his deep love and loyalty to absolutely everybody. Says the Bracha Yaakov because Yosef ben Peres, Yosef ben Peres, Ale, Ayin Benoist Tzad, Ale, sure, right? If you look at the Possek over there, you'll see that what's the Bracha, the other Bracha is Bercha Shomai Ma'al, Bercha Estohim, Revetas Tachas. Yosef is the connector of heaven and earth. Yosef is the only one who can heal the whole world. Yosef can feed everyone because Yosef can speak to everybody. Yosef can understand everybody. You see in the next week's parish meet Kate, where the brothers come back and tell Yaakov, you know, that uh, we have to bring Binyamin. He's why did you Because he asks us questions. And the Madras says, so deep with these questions, we thought maybe he wants to marry one of our daughters. Yosef has such a deep love and concern for everybody. That's the source of his charm. It's the source of his beauty. Right? As we learned, the source we learned before from the Ravnos and the, the Torah, that even his Naras was not because he wanted to have control. It was because he wanted to be able to connect to people who that's all they would connect to. Yosef is never motivated by himself. The minute somebody has Yosef's abilities and is motivated by himself, they're incredibly dangerous. The minute they want to control something, they're very dangerous. But when they don't want to control anything, they're the source of all the beauty that can come into the world, the connection between heaven and earth. By the way, that's almost for sure and a part of the Shivim Panama Torah, why Yosef is punished for the one time he wants something in a relationship. For you and me to have asked the butler to please remember us, the power would be basic ishtadas, basic effort that you're supposed to put in. But for Yosef, he can't do that. 
His whole relationship is, you look sad today. What's wrong? But his power is so powerful. He is, of course, in the more middle-sal Kabbalah as the bris, the part of the body that if it ever desires control over something is, is, is horrific. But the part of the body that always needs to be vulnerable and want relationship on its terms. Bris literally means relationship. That's what it is. That's what Yosef has to always be in everything he does. The uh, Gemara Tanis actually says, amazingly enough, that there's a koyach, a spiritual koyach that links exactly the same thing, that links the tohayim to the shamayim, exactly like Yosef, and it's called Ridya, right? And it's in the shape of an eagle, of a calf. You know, the same calf that can become idolatry is also the same thing that can be a symbol, a spiritual power of bringing heaven into earth, relationship between heaven and earth itself. That's Yosef's power, right? And yet something unbelievable. So we have Yosef, we have Yehuda, we have the natural schism. And by the way, if you're going to get very, very deep, that schism is really an expression of the schism that exists within Yaakov himself. We don't have time to go into this right now, but of course Yaakov has two wives, Rachel and Leah, the mother of Yosef, the mother of Yehuda. Right? In many ways, Leah's Ica child is Yehuda. Apam oidas Hashem, now I'll be able to give thanks to Hashem. And Rachel's Ica child is Yosef. And those two mothers represent different spiritual polarities. Those who learn the Torah, the Nista, which... I don't learn, but those who do, well, I'm not zeichet to but those who do will tell you that in our Rizal, there's actual nine whole prokim just on what the difference between Rachel and Leah is. These are forces that, that express very, very, very deep spiritual polarities and different models of what the Jewish people can be. Very roughly, just from the Torah itself, it seems that Rachel is always Olam this world. She's got the beauty in this world. Her children are part of the relationship with Yaakov. Leah is always future-oriented. Every child she has is, is a ben for Yaakov, is, is a continuation of Yaakov. Ben Chamish Yaakov, Ben Shishi Yaakov, right? Leah, Rachel is buried on the way. She's part of the journey. She's the mother for the journey. She's Mavakal, but now she's crying. Leah is the mother who's buried at the destiny. That's where she is, right? Yaakov's original persona was Ishtam Yoshev Aholim, was to live in the tents. And that is ultimately what Yaakov is. The world of Leah is the world of the Oihel, which is why Leah is the Oisius Oihel, right? That's what she is. But Yaakov took on another persona. He took on Esau. And in taking on Esau, he became the Koyal Yaakov, the day Esau, there was a tension within Yaakov. And when Yaakov himself experiences the exile, by Yaakov Levado in the dark nights, by Ovek Ish Imoy, and he was alone, but there was someone struggling with him. And he wins and he becomes Yisrael. And he went for the Pachim Ketanim, these little jars that the Medrash says, these are not the source sheets, but because you went for those jars, because you saw holiness in everything, you're going to merit the jars of Hanukkah. But he came out and he got the name Yisrael, and because he got the name Yisrael, the light came into the world for him. And the apostle that said the light came into the world for him, not the light came into the world, but he brought it into the world. It's by Yisrach Loi Hashemesh, right? It came into the world for him. And the Maharil says that's Lamad Vav, it's 36, like the 36 Sadiqim that he brings to the world. This is Yaakov Vinu bringing all this into the world. It's also the 36 lights of Hanukkah, which Bez Hashem will come back to. If you light each night, one to eight, you get 36. When he had his Hanukkah, he came out limping, damaged his left leg. And as we heard earlier, the left leg is the Midah of Hoid, it's the attribute of Hanukkah. That was not finished. So he guaranteed that in the end he will rectify everything, both personas within him. In the end he will win in the struggle against Esau. 
But along the way, he's got to rectify the limp. And the limp is Hanukkah. Not everything is yet. After later on, he gets, comes Shalem to Shem. He's complete. But up to that point, there's a gap. And that gap is the gap between Yosef and Yehuda. Because in the Midos, Hoid is the Midah before the Midah of Yosef. Soid is called Bris. And the Midah of Yehuda, which is Malchus. And what is the Midah of the Hoid? Who is the persona? Who is the personality in Torah who brings the Midah of Hoid into the world? Aaron Right? Who brought the miracle of Hanukkah into the world? Aaron, right? It's Aaron Akoyan, it's the Koyanim, Chashmanoi, right? It's, uh, that's what it is. They're the Koyanim. Right? It's Aaron. Who's the one who's madlik the R in the, in, the, in the Mishkan? Aaron. By the way, before he had the job to do the Karbonus. The Karbonus only offering only came after the Egel Azov. But already back in, 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 in Parshas, um, in, in Tetzaveh, Aaron's job is to bring the Shechina into the, into the Mishkan. He's got to light the Menorah. So you see, and Aaron is the one who can bring Shalom to Kralisol. Shalom, Shalom, If anybody can unify Yosef and Yehud, if anyone can unify everything, it's got to be Aaron. Right? And therefore, Aaron stands to the fore of the man of Shalom at Hanukkah. Except there's a problem. Hanukkah wasn't, a, wasn't about Shalom, it was about war. How does the man of Shalom, who's in the, in the episode, right? Clearly tells that Hanukkah, somehow you need to understand why it had to be Shevet tribe of Levi, it had to be Kayanim specifically, because they can bring Shalom that can heal the nation, find the right place for Yosef, the right place for Yehuda, and, and all can work out. And yet, the people of Shalom had to fight a war. But we find that in the Torah as well. Because the man who gets the Brisi Shalom of Aaron's descendants is called Pinchas. And he has to do it through an act that appears violent. If you look at the source over here, we're low on time. Let's, let's uh, maybe drop of jumping around. If we look at, um, yeah, some of, these, some of these already on the source over here. You can see 25, 26. But, uh, and in fact, in Zvachim, the Gemara says in source 27, Pinchas didn't even get the priest until he brought Shalom between the Shvatim, which is exactly this year the Hanukkah needs to deal with. When it comes to the Mises, the act that Pinchas himself does, there's a whole discussion in the Gemara and Sanhedrin in, in, in Pei Base as to was it even the right thing or wrong thing? They weren't sure. Right? Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron the Hashem has to vindicate him because they all thought it was the wrong thing. There was even a question, you know, the Malachim want to excommunicate him. Klalisol wants to say it's all wrong. And Hashem, and they want to say this is just your religious fanaticism, your grandfather Yisrael, he was also looking into lots of really, you're just a, even the word, what's the word that we used to say did the right thing? But Kanai es kinasi, he was zealous for me, says God. But that same word, Val, differently, can be kina, jealousy, kinyan, control, power. You see the same issues that we had with the Isaac? And Hashem has to vindicate. Says, in fact, amazingly, the Gemara says this, halachov ein moirin came. What, what Pinchas did is the right law, but you must never teach it to anybody. But if it's right, why not teach it to everybody? says the Zaya Kaddish, there's no true zealousness for God if it's not from love. There are some acts where the act itself is not what makes it right or wrong. For one person, it can be the right act. For one, it's the wrong. It depends where it's coming from. There are few acts like that where they depend where you're coming from. If it's because I need to control things, I need the world to be a certain way, and if they're doing this, if the world's falling apart in a way I can't deal with, if it's coming from because I'm angry with them, if it's coming because I'm scared of what's going to happen if I don't, then just stay away. If it's coming from, I'm not scared of anything. Karash Baruch is running the world. I'm in a world of pure betachem. I don't hate anybody. 
I don't have anger at all. But I see two people who are destroying the universe. And out of my love for the universe, there's only one thing that has to be done over here. Then you'll do the right thing. Then you'll do the right thing. It comes from a place of love and peace. And Hashem says, the ultimate shalom is the person who can go to war without hating anybody, if that's the only way to defend someone. The person who goes to war to take revenge has no place. Kosh does, kel nekomas Hashem, he'll worry about revenge, not us. Us nekomas also. Right? That's what, it's, it's his, right, noikim, not us. You did it. Our avoider is to be in complete peace and love. And that sometimes means pick up a weapon. Sometimes that's what it needs. But it comes from that pure place. Then it will bring shalom to the world. And so what happens over here is that that koyach of the of Shevet Levi, that koyach, and by the way, that's why exactly what happens. Why does Aaron get to light the menorah? Why in Parashas Tetzaveh, before he's even, before I know, at the moment, the Bechorin, the firstborns are meant to serve the offerings in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Mishkom, and yet he's already got to bring the lights into the world because the menorah is Hashanah Shechina. It's what brings God's presence to the world. And that can only be Shorah from Simcha, from joy. What type of joy? The joy that Aaron has. What is Aaron's joy? Says the Pasuk in the Torah, when Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, Shachar Tishach, why are you sending with me? My brother's the leader of the people. I've been living in a palace for all these years. And also Moshe's afraid maybe he'll be jealous. The whole Sefer Barashas is only full of jealous brothers. Right? You can't get out. You shman against, against, uh, against Yitzhak and Esau against Yaakov. And this is one kind and Havel. Right? That's, uh, everything is one big disaster. Says a Kaddish Baruch when Aaron, Aaron will hear. And you know what his reaction will be? Varah he'll see. His heart will just be full of joy. Aaron is achva. Brotherhood, you're successful. Wow, you're not me. We're brothers. I need your success. That's the person whose heart is big enough to hold the Jewish people together. That's why his heart can walk into the Kodesh HaKadosh and the Holy of Holies on your kippah. His heart can light the menorah. His heart has the joy at your success that can bring the Shekhinah into the world. His heart can hold Yosef and Yehuda together. What made Yosef the Tzaddik was that he had the middle of Hod. He had it. The brothers didn't realize he had it. The brothers thought his beauty was about control. Then it's dangerous. His brothers thought that it was missing the middle of height. The brothers thought your beauty is about how others think of you and you want to... That would have been a disaster. They didn't realize he had height. Yosef never, ever, ever wanted to control anything. He loved everyone. He goes into the deepest dungeon. His life had been thrown to pieces. He never asked Hashem, why are you doing it? The answer is because maybe somebody's suffering in a dungeon who I couldn't help above the surface. So now, who's suffering? How can I help you? How can I help you? Armed with that hoid, the aside, that beauty, which comes from an ability to connect to others. Aaron might not have been able to have that. Aaron's got that love. Yosef's got that ability to link to everyone. Yosef can bring the whole of Mitzrayim to Brismila. He can prepare planet Earth. He can bring to the world what otherwise only Yosef will bring to the world, and he can prepare the world for Gaula. The Hanukkah story, if we look at the mitzvahs, the Ivanim fought against, what was the darkness? It says, They said, Write for yourself on the horn of an ox. I have no portion of the God of Israel. Because the ox is Yosef, and the ox is the Egel Azar. They said, Look, you Jews, you also love beauty. You also love charisma. You also have a bit of an exile aspect of you, don't you? So come on, right? This is the weak point of you. And they fought, according to Megillus Antiochus, against Brismila. They fought against 
Shabbos, but they fought against Kiddush HaChoytesh, sanctifying the new moon. What's that about? So we can use a calendar instead. That makes life easier, not harder, right? You imagine trying to plan your Pesach holiday without the calendar. Back in the Sanhedrin, is it going to be 13 months this year, 12 months? I don't know. When's Pesach going to be? We don't know. When's the Bermitzvah going to land? I don't know. It's, it's amazing. They made life easy for us. No more going to have witnesses look at the, the new moon. No more Sanhedrin. No more courts deciding the calendar each year. It's ill. Why did they do that? And why did they ban Kashrus? And why did they ban Yom Kippur and Pesach? So the some made some local governors did more, but the central decrees, why these? And they attacked Torah. But if you look at many places in Chazal, it sees the main thing was attacking the Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral Torah. Why not attack the written Torah? It could have been so effective, Chas How many physical written Torahs were there in the world? What would happen if they destroyed them all? I think if the oral Torah, which was oral, and they couldn't enforce. And the answer is all of these four express this middah. This middah of Hashem, you're in control. And my life, therefore, is how do I manifest you in the world? This is shocking. So paradoxically, by Aaron's hoid, Moshe is the, is the Netzach, is the Torah Shabbat Peh. It's the Torah Shabbat sorry. This is the written Torah. But it's Aharon who begins the first of trying to explain Moshe's idea to the ears of a people called Torah Shabbat Peh, the Old Torah. And in the Torah Shabbat Peh, we don't always hear everything clearly. What we hear becomes the Torah. Revelezer ben Hurkin is going to say, Shomayim, they'll prove their lochas like me. It is up there. But the, the earth, the Torah of Torah Shabbat Peh down here, is the relationship between where we're holding in the darkness and the light shining into the world. Which of the 70, it fragments into 70 faces. Which becomes the halachos as the Rambam and Elchus Mamrim and every generation it can change. The Torah is created in the relationship between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we say, God, you're in control. And God says back, okay, but my light's going to shine through you. You've got that, that hoid. Hoid paradoxically is the middle that says we're not controlling anything in which Hashem turns around to us and says, right, and now, since you're not in control, since you put me in control, my vehicle for my light is you. And Yosef hears that and runs his entire life about how to spread that light. And when he succeeds in that, eventually Yehuda will be able to come in, and that's another whole talk, how they then turn that into Malchus and Mashiach. But everything about Hanukkah was the Greeks fighting against that little conduit in which we become the partners by putting Hashem at the center, he puts us as the vehicle for his life. And so what happens next is the Greeks say, Brismila, that's what Brismila means. Hashem delivers an imperfect body as the Medrash of Turnus Rufus. You can look it up, but we're running out of time now, where Turnus Rufus says, surely if Hashem wanted us to be circumcised, it made us circumcised. Rabbi Akiva teaches him, no, Hashem makes the miracle of wheat. We can't make that, but he leaves it for us to turn it into bread. Hashem's making bread. But the part of it's the growth of the wheat and the other part is our hands that turn it into bread. Hashem's making the human being. He produces the imperfect product. And when we submit to him, our hands then do the brismila that brings the human to more perfected form. Our job is to be his partner in the world. By putting him at the center, he then says, but my light shines through you. That was where the Greek was fighting. Let nature be powerful. Let's accept the natural order. Let's study it. We have the tools to study it. We have the wisdom to understand it. We could manipulate it if we want to. The greatest height a human can be perhaps is a certain level of cognition where we can connect to it and the greatest physical prowess we'll celebrate through the games and we'll do all this stuff. But don't tell us we're here to radically change the natural order of the world by inculcating these midas so that we're going to have a different world, so that we're going to have a Shabbos 
unlike all the other Yom Tov, Shabbos says we go once a week to Olam Abba. And that means that humans can be different and the world can be totally different. And we come back in the week to bring it there. And the Greek says, that's saying the natural order is not the way things are. No! Right? The natural, that's what we get. Kiddush HaKodesh says the same thing. It says the very calendar, which is the most powerful thing the natural world gives us, the sun and the moon and the orbits, is actually a partnership to God and man. And Torah Shabbat Pass says, Torah is a partnership to God and man. That can only work. The wrong version, that is, we either make ourselves into gods or we're in control, right? Or we just cut off and say, okay, the natural world runs up there, we run down here. The partnership says, Hashem, you're the center of the world. And Hashem says, fine, then you shine the light through. That's Aaron. I see I have joy in your success because Hashem has succeeded when you've succeeded. Yosef, it goes into the darkest dungeon. Okay, let me take that mission. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And the next thing is the whole world's operating according to Brismila. He's giving Brismila to the world. Yosef, who can bring that light of Hanukkah into the world and prepare it for Mashiach. And that really is what the menorah is because that's exactly what we say in the Medrash when we ask Hashem, Hashem, why do you want our light. We only ever use the base of English in the day. Just open the door. Let the light in. And Hashem says, because more precious to me than all the light I bring into the world is the bit of light you bring into the world. You bring light into the world when you have these various things. So we touched an enormous amount of things. But if we come back, we realize there's a chayshach, there's a deep darkness in the world. The darkness comes from the power and the ability to control the world, which the Greeks gave us the ability to understand it. It's incredibly dangerous if it's used because it gives me power and control and that's what it inculcates. It could be, if it's unhinged from the middle of Hoyd, if instead of Hoyd we have glory, the glory and grandeur of Greece and Rome, right? If instead of, literally that's what it is, the glory of Greece, that's exactly how we talk about them. If instead of Hoyd we put the word glory, the world falls apart. If in place we put Hoyd, that we're channels to the revelation of God who's at the center of reality and our world becomes, I have Shalom, I have Shalom, I want everyone to succeed. If that's what we get, then we become partners of the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And then the Midas of Yosef become the antidote of all this. The beauty that we bring into the world is a beauty that takes the world into a place that nature doesn't give it. And then comes its Malchus, the Malchus of Mashiach. And so this is a lot of what we're lighting up in Hanukkah. We're lighting our ability within us to say, Hashem, we're not the center of reality, <coughs> but we hear in you that what you want from me in every single situation is to just bring light. You see, if we try to calculate in every situation what will control things and get the outcome we think is good, we might destroy the world. But if we say, yes, let's try and do that, but in every situation, Hashem, what do you want from me here, right now? The Hashemunayim did not light the light because they thought it would be eight days. They lit it because they thought that's what the light Hashem wanted them to bring into the world. Yosef didn't say to the butler, why are you crying, looking so sad? Because he thought it'd end up coming out. That little bit where he almost did that, he got stuck for two more years. He did that because it was the right thing. And that magnifies the world, that lights up the world, and that power that lives in every single one of us is the miracle of Hanukkah.